0: We're having church this morning, people. This is it. As we hear what God's doing around the world and what God wants to do in our lives, brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of 1 John. It's an amazing book. This is week number five. Of us as a church family here at Calvary going through this book. And today we find ourselves in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. It's about halfway through chapter 2 of 1 John. As you turn there, a reminder that John is a follower of Jesus. He was actually a contemporary of Jesus. Jesus called him his friend. This guy, John, a disciple of Jesus, actually got to walk where Jesus walked. And he was inspired by God to record what he saw Jesus do in ministry. We call that the Gospel of John in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you have John. Later in John's ministry, he's again commissioned by God to write three short letters. We call them today 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. They were written to the church that surrounds what we call today modern Turkey. And so if you have that in your Bible, go to the very back of the New Testament. That's where 1 John is. If you hit Revelation, that's the last book of the Bible. And that was also written by John, but go a couple books to the left and you'll find 1 John 2. And let me have the honor to read God's Word out loud to you. If you have your device, look it up. Your Bible. There's a Bible in the seat rack in front of you. You can grab as well. Let's read it together. 1 John 2.18. I'll read. You listen. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From, from this, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us... They would have remained with us, but they went out, so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you, which you've heard from the beginning. And what you heard from the beginning abides in you. You, will also, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Now I'm in verse 25. This is the promise which He Himself made to us, eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and it's not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in Him. That's as far as we'll get today, but this is such, such a rich passage. Look at the first word of verse 18. It says, Children. I picture John being a shepherd. You know, he got to walk with the ultimate good shepherd, which was Jesus. And and out of the influence and example of Jesus, John now shepherds this first century church. He calls them children, here in verse 18. And he's not saying it like, oh, you little child, you poor little pathetic thing. No, but you can see in the way that he says children, not only in verse 18, but Throughout the letter of 1 John, that he has this sense of love and grace and a father's heart for these new Christians, these followers of the way here in the first century. I love the heart that we see of John. This is an example of what a godly leader should look like. Graceful, loving. And yet, what's interesting is the words after children here in verse 18 are a warning to the church. He's warning them about antichrists that are to pop up and to come and to steal many away. And so you see John as a shepherd being loving and graceful, but also protective. This is our heart here at Calvary too. We want to be like Jesus, number one, but like John follows Jesus' example, that's what even we as pastors and leaders here at Calvary, that's our heart too. We want to be people that are graceful with the flock, which is you. We want to be loving to you. We want this to be a place where anyone and everyone is welcome to come in. That's what we want Calvary to be about. But then like John too, when he says children, and then he moves into a warning, we also have a protective heart here at Calvary Church. And if you were here the last couple of weeks... Um, There were some unplanned interruptions that happened last week and then the week before. Those were not sermon illustrations, although it did get your attention. (laughs) Our desire as we move forward here at Calvary is to be a safe place, is to be a place where we take security and when we gather here really seriously. And yet at the same same time, be a place that's loving and graceful and welcoming to anyone and everyone. Do Do you follow what I'm saying with this? There's some tension in those two things. Being welcoming to anyone, and then yet also, as a shepherd, being protective. All I have to say is the word Charleston, and you know what I'm talking about. We live in an era right now where we have to be wise. And so just as a leader representing the leaders of Calvary Church, I just want to communicate to you a couple things. Is One is that we are more committed than ever to the security and safety of Calvary Church. And so we're working on some things behind the scenes that will ensure that, not only here on a Sunday in this building, but all over the campus. And yet, we're also committed to being, more than ever, a loving, graceful, and welcoming place. I think that's the heart of a guy like John. That's definitely the heart of Jesus. And that's the heart we want here at Calvary. And so with that in mind, I just even want to pray in this moment, God, help us to do this well. Help us to protect all of us so no one has any anxiety when they come in this place. But help us to be graceful too. Not only this morning what we're doing, but also just in this season of our church. So would you just join me and let's just pray for that, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you for 80 plus years of Calvary Church and you have been so gracious to this place. God, I pray that this would be a place that's protected, a safe place, a place where we could connect with you unencumbered, undistracted, we could see you clearly. And yet, God, as we hold that with high value, we also hold with high value being a loving, graceful, and welcoming place to anyone. So God, give us wisdom in how to do that. And Lord, I believe, and you would even say this for sure, that there is a spiritual war that's happening. And God, that you would even see a place like Calvary as a place that, This is going on. And I pray that you would protect it when you see the schemes of the devil wanting to distract us or even make us scared to come to church. And so God, may you reign mightily here. We invite you into this place now and forevermore have authority. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. And so like John, children... We invite you here to look into God's Word, to see what He's saying to us today. And the first thing it says here in 18, children, it is the last hour. And my question to you is this, is do you know what time it is? Look at your watch right now. Seriously, like what time is it? Do you know? Okay, you got your phone. We, we always kind of know generally what time it is, don't we? How many of you have a clock that's right in your car? Wherever you go, you're driving, you see what time it is. You're constantly looking at your next appointment and where you have to be. I love my kids. Do you know we just had a fourth? We have a seven week old in our family, a little girl named Eden. Uh, She is kind of on her own program right now, but the other three, it's summer for them, they have no idea what time it is. Do you remember (laughs) those years? Like, they don't wear a watch throughout the day. They don't have, like, a a Google, like, alert on their phone saying, like, you have to be here in 20 minutes. Like, they literally live totally absent and apart from time. Aren't you, like, jealous of that? Don't you, like, want more of that in your life? I mean, when you go on vacation, and if you've been gone the last few weeks, we just want to welcome you back here to Calvary. But when you're on vacation, isn't that the goal? Is to unplug so much that you literally don't know what time it is. But how many of us struggle with that, even on vacation? I mean, you're sitting at the beach and you're like, okay, what? Well, seriously, like, is it like four or is it three? I don't know. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, it doesn't even matter. And yet, I have to be so connected to time. Well, there's two types of time the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about physical time, which we're all subject to. But the Bible also talks about spiritual time, that there's a spiritual clock that is happening in the reality of this world. And there's a few markers of it. Marker number one is creation. When man and woman were created in the image of God, that set this spiritual clock in our world. There's other markers of the spiritual clock, some of them being the Old Testament covenants with men like Abraham and Noah and David. These were markers of a spiritual clock that is running The greatest marker of time is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That marks time. In fact, it's interesting, in the spiritual clock that marks time and also in our physical clock as we have B.C. and A.D. Christ represents the major mark in time, both spiritually and physically. And so the question is, well, where are we on our spiritual clock right now? It might be 11.20 in Orange County right now, but where are we on the spiritual clock? And I would argue, as you look at 1 John 2, that we're at about 11.29 p.m. I might even be a little late on that. It could be even later in the day. Although, if you know my personality, that makes total sense that I'd be late on my time. (laughs) But I believe it's about around this time spiritually. And why do I say that? Look at the next line. It says, children, it is the last hour John is saying. He's saying the hour is almost up. The season is almost wrapped up. The end is coming. Why does John say that? Well, Jesus himself taught that. In the book of Matthew, put your finger in 1 John and and go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 3. And it says this, Jesus talking about time. Matthew 24, 3. As Jesus, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. I'm in verse 9 of Matthew 24. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you'll be hated by all the nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Man, that's a gnarly statement right there. Two more verses. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 14 This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. So this is Jesus on the Mount of Olives looking down at the city of Jerusalem. He's teaching his disciples which included a guy named John and he's saying these will be some of the signs that you're in the final hour, the last hour. Now flip back to 1 John 2. John no doubt remembering what Jesus had taught as he headed to the cross goes, children, it's the last hour. Seriously, you have to pay attention. This is the last hour. And then John begins to list, like Jesus did, some of the signs that we'll see in this final hour. Verse 19 of 1 John 2. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us But if they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. One of the signs that we are in the last hour is this, is that many will abandon the faith. Many will say, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. And then the next day, life will get too hard and they'll walk away. Many of us in this room... Have people that we love, that we would die for, that this is their story. But I want to encourage you that if you know people that have walked away from Jesus, that doesn't have to be the final chapter of their lives. Boy, I hope you're a prayer warrior for those that you love that have walked far from God. No one is beyond the reach of God. But John is here saying that there will be many that leave. In fact, in the first century, many had already left. And Christianity at this point was only a couple decades old. You see, there was this philosophy that started birthing around the time that John wrote 1 John. And later it was termed Gnosticism. It was this belief that the body didn't really matter. That the flesh was just flesh. It was temporary and However you treated your body didn't really matter. What really mattered was your soul. And if your soul was surrendered to God, then it's all good. So what this led to in the first century was, as you can imagine, all kinds of license to do whatever you wanted. You could have an affair because who cares? That's just my body. It's not my soul. I could lie to my neighbor because that's just my flesh doing that. It's not really my heart. I could hate others. I could ignore the poor. I could ignore all of God's commands because that's just temporary. It's the flesh that I'm responding to. Really, my soul knows better. And so there was this dichotomy of of what you did and, and what you believed. Gnosticism. Do we have a version of that here today in our culture? Yes. Here in the first century, many were buying into this and were walking away from the church. John warns this. He calls them antichrist antichrist meaning in the original language that it's someone who's against jesus or someone who places himself in substitute of jesus he's saying anyone that walks away from god and buys into lies like gnosticism are antichrist he doesn't pull any punches here but it's true this philosophy is straight out of the pit of hell that you can live one way and you can believe another and it just all makes sense in the end So many in the first century walked away from Jesus because of this teaching. And so John's saying, hey, that's a warning to you that you're in the final hour. Here's a second warning, is that people will hate Jesus. There'll be an increase in the hatred of Jesus. John says it, but he's really just repeating what Jesus had said when he records that in Gospel of John 15, when Jesus says, don't be surprised when they hate you, Because before they hated you, they hated me. And we see that not only in the first century, but now 2,000 years later, we still see this hatred of Jesus, and I would argue even ramping up, as our culture perverts the identity of Jesus. He was just a good teacher. Or he was nuts. He was crazy. Or our culture over the last 2,000 years has prohibited the name of Jesus more and more from being mentioned. Do you want to get kicked out of a city council meeting? Just stand up and be like, Jesus! (laughs) The marketplace no longer welcomes the name Jesus. And we've seen persecution increase, or at least our knowledge of persecution increase. I feel like even over the last like 18 months, as both subtly, quietly, and very loudly, those that follow the name of Jesus are persecuted. And so that's a major clue that we're living in this final hour. It's 11.29 p.m. Is that many are walking away from following Jesus. And the name of Jesus is being hated more and more. All of that just sets the table for the final Antichrist. You see, every generation, according to John, will have Antichrist in it. Every generation will have people that pull Christians away from Christ. Christ who make themselves a substitute for Christ. But all of that will lead towards the final Antichrist, which will usher in the end of the age. And there's a lot of speculation about who that final Antichrist could be. (laughs) Typically, for Christians... We decide the next Antichrist or we speculate the next Antichrist is whoever we don't like in the moment politically. You know what I mean? Like right now, if you type in Obama uh, Antichrist, oh boy, I have about 17 hours of fun reading all the articles about that from well-intended people. I can't say for sure that the Antichrist exists today. He may. The final Antichrist may already be living today in our world, setting the stage What I do know, though, is that there's all these signs that are leading to him. People walking away, the name of Jesus Christ being hated, and the table is being set. This final Antichrist is Hebrews uh, 2 talks about, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about, as well as Revelation 13. You can find it in Daniel and other places in Revelation 2. But some of the things we discover about the Antichrist, the final one is this, is that he'll be charismatic and loved, present false teaching that will undermine God's Word. He'll persecute true believers in Jesus. He'll possess supernatural powers. There's an idea that the Antichrist will actually be killed, but then on the third day will rise again. Who does that sound like? Because he mimics the true and one Messiah. The final Antichrist will somehow take control both politically and financially and religiously of our world. So these are things to be on the watch for. Revelation 13 particularly just lays this out. So here's the truth. But I don't want to spend tons of time just unpacking who the particular Antichrist could be or all the details about his life because I think... Beneath that, here's the core teaching of 1 John chapter 2. Is that we need to be living like we're in the last hour. That's the bottom line. Whether the Antichrist comes next year or tomorrow or 20 years from now, we need to be living today as it is the last hour. Knowing that this is going to be a time of chaos, confusion, hardship, persecution we need to be prepared for that and there's two crucial questions to ask as we live in this last hour the first question is this is what do we believe and the second question is what do we do as a result of our belief John two twenty says this but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know verse 21 I have not written to you because you do not know the truth but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Again, stepping back into first century shoes, there was this guy named and He was gaining a lot of popularity among this region of Turkey where John is writing. No doubt... John, when he writes the word, there's Antichrist among you, is thinking of this guy, Cerinthius. Cerinthius was teaching this idea that Jesus was God at the moment of baptism until the moment of the crucifixion. And then at the crucifixion, the God part of Jesus left him. And many were buying into that. It's interesting that there's still cults today that proclaim that message that Jesus wasn't fully God all of his life. But the gospel says differently. The gospel says that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He had to be 100% God his entire life or else he wouldn't have been holy enough to substitute for our sins. If Jesus wasn't completely God, he wouldn't be infinite enough to pay the eternal price for our sins. If Jesus wasn't fully God, he wouldn't be powerful enough To overcome sin and to conquer death and so John gets right to that here in 22 who's a liar but the one that denies that Jesus is the Christ Christ word Messiah anointed one it's a lie to believe that Jesus is not the Messiah verse 23 again I want you to hear it a couple times over whoever denies the son does not have the father The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Jesus in 14:6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So I want us to just be refreshed of this again. It is not Jesus plus our works, it is not Jesus minus his deity. It is Jesus is Messiah, is God, is the Christ. And what this means is He's our powerful Redeemer who overcomes sin. He's our righteous advocate with the Father. He is our leader, our Lord, our Messiah, our hero, our King. The Scriptures say that Jesus is God. That's what we're called to believe in this final hour, in this last hour. And out of that teaching, we're called to do something. And what we're called to do is this. We're called to live with a daily connection to Jesus. Verse 24 says this, As you have heard, let that abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. We're called in this last hour to be connected daily to Jesus. First, by abiding in Him. One of the root words of the word abiding is the word abode, which means home. We're called to find our daily home in Jesus. Think about your house. Your house is the place that you're most comfortable in. Your house is the place that you go to rest in. Your house is the place where you're the most you in. This is what we're called to do with Christ. We're called to make Jesus our home, to be most comfortable in Him, to rest in Him, to find our true self in Jesus. If you have been on vacation at all this summer so far, it's great being away. It's nice getting out of Orange County. We need that. But isn't it great when you come home? Isn't that a great feeling? when you open the door and the key still works <laughs> and you walk in and you see all of your stuff and the fish are still alive and you plop onto your bed and you're like, "Ah, oh, I am home. This is what it's like to walk daily with Jesus, making him your home, most comfortable, most relaxed, most rested in Jesus. The best way that i found this happens is through His Word. is literally just looking into His Word and making Jesus your home by knowing His Word, loving His Word, being in His Word. Not just here on Sundays and checking it off, but every day. Throughout your day. I'm doing a challenge right now. I turned 40 in August. I know, I only look 22. But um, <laughs> I'm trying to memorize... Scripture, a particular scripture, before I turn 40 next month. I'm trying to do it so honestly, because after 40, don't you just forget everything? Is that how it works? Uh But the discipline of knowing scripture and putting it to memory is, is beautiful. And I've just begun this, I just decided a week ago. But as I'm memorizing, it's amazing how that scripture pops in my head throughout the day and how that scripture has been used to encourage somebody else that I had no idea I wanted to use it with them, but it just kind of came out. Let's make our home in Jesus. Let's make our home in his word. And then verse 25 gives us such hope. In this last chaotic hour, verse 25 stands out as this beacon of hope, and it says, this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. So we're called to abide in Jesus, to make our home in Jesus with the idea that we have a future home with Jesus Christ, which is in heaven and its eternal life with God. This final hour will end. It will hit midnight eventually. But the great news is our lives do not end at that point. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you then enter into eternity with God, which you guys, it's better than I could describe. It's better than than you could even imagine. Eternal life will be the most satisfying life we could ever possibly have. Take such hope in that as we live in this last hour. And then here's a final thing of what we're called to do. We're called to surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Look back at verse 20. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. Think of that word anointing, and then jump down to verse 27. First John 2:27. It says, "As for you, the anointing which you've received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him." It's a beautiful encouragement here. I want to kind of open your eyes to it, because you may not see it right away. This word anointing is mentioned three times, verse 20 and verse 27 twice. It's the Greek word charisma. So John is using charisma here when he's talking about anointing. Now, you've seen probably on Facebook or other places people selling essential oils, right? Yes? Okay. It's kind of like uh, the 2010 cultural trend or health trend right now. is to, you are, what, what essential oils are you using? Uh But essential oils have been around since the time of creation, if you think about it, with plants. The nation of Israel used oil in all that it did. One of the ways that it used oil was to do this. When the nation of Israel in biblical times would commission someone, they would take a plant, they would crush the contents of the plant, they would take the oil from the plant. They would take a little bit of the oil and they would anoint charisma. A leader, a king, a prophet, a soldier going out to war. They would anoint them with this oil. They would do this for a very specific purpose. They would do this to commission them as a symbol, symbolic way of saying God is with you. God will protect you. God will guide you. God is not going to leave you as you enter into battle, as you step into this position of king, as you're a prophet for the nation, as you are a priest and do priestly duties for us. God will be with you. And this anointing will symbolize that. We know that Jesus was crushed For our iniquities. The book of Isaiah prophesies that. And if you'll follow me on this, when Jesus was crushed, he was like a plant that was crushed for our sin. And what came out of Jesus was his blood. His blood was poured out on us as believers in him. Jesus' blood, better than any essential oil, cleanses us from all sin past, present, and future sin. This is what Jesus has done for us. And as cleansed vessels, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done, we then receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works in our lives just like symbolically He would to those Old Testament kings and prophets. The Holy Spirit protects us The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit is with us in this last hour. Isn't that a game changer to know that? That in this last hour of chaotic times where Antichrist will rise and fall and the stage is being set for the ultimate Antichrist, we have God with us. The Holy Spirit has anointed you for this last hour. What I want to do is I want to pray over each of us. And I want to pray. You already have, if you're a believer, you already have the Holy Spirit in you. He's already anointed you. But I want to pray that you'd become aware of it. (laughs) And that you would be comforted and walk in confidence in this last hour knowing you've been anointed. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every man, woman, and child here. I thank you for those that in this last hour have believed that you, Jesus, are not just a good moral teacher, but you are God. Thank you for how that's changed each of us that have believed that from the inside out. We are literally new people because of what we've done in trusting you. God, I thank you that as we believed in you, your Holy Spirit came into our lives and just like you did for the first century, your Spirit anointed us with protection, with guidance, with you, most importantly. And so, God, I pray that each person here would have confidence that they've been anointed by you and that, God, your Spirit walks with them in this last hour. If there's anyone here, God, who feels alone in this last hour, may your Holy Spirit remind them that they are not. We thank you for your Word and how it changes us, moment by moment. In the name of Jesus, the Christ, amen.